Well, tonight we are continuing our study of redemption accomplished and applied, and <clears throat> we are moving on tonight to justification. Um, and as we now come to justification, we come to a very important session in this study. And I will be using some technical terminology tonight, but I will do my best to explain it very clearly. And of course, we'll have time for questions afterwards. Uh, But when you come to a subject as important and as significant as justification, you really just can't afford to cheapen the language. Um, We concluded our last session on faith and repentance by stating that those two items of redemption's application were both affected by regeneration and they were the means of justification. So, faith and repentance are caused by regeneration and they are the means of accomplishing justification. In this session, we're going to flesh out what the Bible has to say about justification. I want you to understand at the outset that when we come to the doctrine of justification, we come to the high watermark of Christianity. Justification is the linchpin of the biblical gospel. And there is not much wiggle room when it comes to the doctrine of justification. Some of the other things on this list, there are areas uh, where we can see things differently. And, And we can articulate things a little differently. But when you come to justification, there's really not a lot of room to get things wrong. A lot of times people will uh, look at the book of Romans, which is where we find the doctrine of justification articulated more than in any other portion of Scripture. And and I think rightfully so. You know, I've jokingly said that I don't think a man should try to preach through the book of Romans until he's been in the ministry at least a good 25 years. That's, of course, not a hard and fast rule. Um, that's a, don't, don't take me to be serious there in any, in any way, but I am serious about the fact that it's an important book. Why is it an important book? Well, you know, right now on Sunday mornings, I'm preaching through 1 Corinthians. There's a lot in 1 Corinthians that is important because all of the Word of God is important, but there's a lot in 1 Corinthians that we can disagree about, and uh, there's not really that significant of a consequence. If you don't see 1 Corinthians 11 on head coverings the way I see it, at the end of the day, that doesn't really affect our Christian fellowship. It doesn't affect, it doesn't affect the way we view uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason why Romans is often considered to be such a, a pinnacle of a book is because in chapters 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, when Paul is dealing with justification and the outworkings of justification, there's not a whole lot of room to get things wrong. <laughs> if you get justification wrong, you get the gospel wrong. And if you lose the gospel, you lose salvation. Martin Luther said that justification is the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. Now, we can't say that about many, many doctrines. The doctrine of end times is not the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls, right? Um, I would even go so far as to say that the doctrine of baptism is really not the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. We would not condemn a, a group as a, a heretical sect that is not the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ just because they disagree with us on baptism, even though we think baptism is very important. But if you miss the biblical doctrine of justification, you fall. You fall. Therefore, it is of the utmost importance that we understand and affirm what the Bible has to say about justification. 
And we're going to do this by asking some very basic questions. Why, who, what, how, and when? That's my, that's my outline for tonight. So let's begin with, with why. And, and what I mean by that is, why must there be justification? Not so much what is the motive of God in justification, but, but why must there be justification? Well, the fact that justification is an act in the application of redemption, which, by the way, what do we call this list here? What's the Latin phrase for the order of... of the ordo salutis, right. The, the very fact that justification is one of the acts in the ordo solution, salutis, <laughs> I guess it is a solution as well, praise God. Um, well, that presupposes what? That by nature, we're not justified. That, that we're born not justified. By nature, in our sinful state, we stand condemned before God. So the essence of sin is against God. That's what sin is. And as sinners, that's what we are. We are against God, and God is against us. Let me ask you this. What is God's righteous response to sin? Death. Death. Absolutely. The wages of sin is death. Wrath. Condemnation. You know, any synonym you want to put in there. That is, that is why uh, we must consider justification. Because of the way that sin has affected our standing before God. And, you know, oftentimes, just by our natural tendency, we want to kind of skirt over the reality of sin, and we want to minimize the, the dastardly nature of sin, and we want to talk about, you know, the goodness of God and the grace of God, but... If you neglect the reality of sin and the way that sin has alienated us from God, then you will never see the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is not a message of self-improvement. The gospel is not a message that God gave to us so we could be happy when we're sad. The gospel is a message that transforms our standing before God so that we, are no, we no longer stand before him as condemned, but we stand before him as justified. It's justified. It is important that we begin, then, with an unapologetic confession of our sinful, condemned state before God, or we will never see our need for justification. So the the why of justification is sin. Sin and death. That, That is what we have and what we are by nature. Murray says in his book, I love the way he puts this, he says that, if, that when we fail to preach the reality of sin, the gospel becomes a meaningless sound. So you, you could talk about the, the beauties of justification, but if sinners don't realize that they need to be justified, then what's the point? So what? Right? So that's, that's why we must talk about justification. Well, what about the who? And what I mean by the who is, who justifies? Well, the question may seem to have an obvious answer, but it's nevertheless one that bears asking. The one who justifies is, of course, God. God is the one who justifies. Romans 8.33 says it very explicitly, Who shall bring a charge to God's elect? It is God who justifies. Guilty, condemned sinners do not justify themselves 
any more than a defendant in a courtroom issues his own verdict. And that, that's an important illustration because, as you'll see, uh, justification is, is, is a legal terminology. It's legal terminology. And, and in a court of law, the defendant, he can stand up and he can pronounce his innocence till the day is long, but it doesn't matter what he says. The only thing that matters is what the judge says. It is God who justifies. Again, this may be obvious, but it needs to be stated because as we will now define justification, we must remember that we are discussing an act of God, not an act of man. Last week, I, I made the point and I told you that faith and repentance really are the, the highlight of what man does. They are things that man does, and we don't have to be apologetic about that. That, that, that man must do something, and what he must do is have faith and exercise repentance. He must believe. That's what man must do. But when we talk about justification, we're not talking about something that man does. We're talking about something that God does. Okay, so now let's get into our main section here, the what of justification. The what uh, and the how of justification. Look at the what. Okay, let me give you a definition. Justification is God's once and for all declaration that we are righteous in his sight. And, and the key word there is, is declaration and righteous. So justification, in its most basic definition, is a declaration. That's, that's important to understand. Let me flesh that out. When we say that justification is a declaration, or we say that justification is declarative, we mean that justification does not involve any actual change within the person being justified. Now, you, you, you might be sitting there thinking, whoa, 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 where are you going with this? When God saves sinners, he changes them. Yes and amen, he absolutely does, but that's not justification. Justification is something that God pronounces upon us. Now, what other... What other acts in the Ordo Salutis involve an actual change within us? There's several. What are they? Regeneration is one of them. That's an actual change within us. What, what else? Sanctification. Sanctification. Okay, yeah. And, and then another one here. Glorification. Glorification. Right. Those are changes that happen within us. Justification is not a change that happens within us. And I, I, I'm going to show you why it's so important that we believe that. Justification is something that happens to us or upon us, not in us. In this sense, then, justification is legal or forensic. Legal or forensic. Um, remember the, the courtroom analogy? that The defendant and the judge? Well, when the judge issues the verdict... He's not actually making the defendant innocent or guilty, is he? No, he's just making a proclamation that he is either innocent or guilty. The difference between, for instance, regeneration and justification is the difference between that which a surgeon does and that which a judge does. So a surgeon... He, he, he goes into you, he operates on you, and he, he cuts out the cancer, he removes 
that which is bad, that which is evil, and he, he works on you, he operates on you. A judge doesn't do that. A judge just makes a pronouncement. He makes a proclamation. Let me show you this in, in the Bible. Deuteronomy 25 and verse 1. Deuteronomy 25 and verse number 1. The Bible says this. This is Old Testament law, but, it, but, but the Bible says this. If there is a dispute between men and they come to court, that the judges may judge them and they, notice the word, they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. Now, they're not making the righteous righteous. They're not making the wicked wicked. God simply says, you're supposed to pronounce the righteous and say, they are righteous. And you're supposed to pronounce upon the wicked and say, they are wicked. John Murray says this, quote, Regeneration is an act of God in us. Justification is a judgment of God with respect to us. The purity of the gospel is bound up with the recognition of this distinction. Now, why am I making such a big deal about the declarative nature of justification? Because if you distort the meaning of justification to something other than God's declaration, then you change the manner in which sinners are saved. To be justified is to to be holy and righteous in the sight of God. If you make justification in part or in whole dependent upon something within you, then you are making your right standing with God dependent upon yourself and not upon an act of God's free grace and mercy. To say that sinners are justified, even in part, by some virtue or grace within them is to say that our justification is merited or earned by something we possess. Is man justified by something he does or something he brings to the table? Or is he justified by God's declaration? The Bible emphatically asserts that God justifies us. He declares us righteous in his sight by an act of free grace alone apart from our works. Now, the distortion of justification is the cardinal error of which institution? Absolutely, the Roman church. Roman church. They teach that God justifies sinners because of a righteousness found within them. Sure, they they will say, well, this righteousness is ultimately given by grace, but at the end of the day, in order to be justified, according to Roman doctrine, the sinner must possess a personal righteousness of his own. And it's on the basis of his righteousness that God declares him justified. This is why Martin Luther, prior to his conversion, would would beat himself, and he would whip himself, and he would torture himself. Why? Because he thought, well, if I try hard enough, then maybe I can muster up enough righteousness to earn justification. What a sad view of justification. What a sad view of what it means to be made right with God. So that's what justification is. It's a declaration. It's a declaration uh, that's made by an act of God's free grace that pronounces us to be holy and righteous before Him. But now let's look at the how. The how. See, we've established the need for justification, sin. We've established that it is God who justifies. We've 
defined what justification is, but now we want to ask this question, how does God justify sinners? More specifically, and maybe some of you have already been thinking about this question, we want to ask this, how does a holy God justify sinners in a manner consistent with his own character? See, if I were to just uh, give you the why, who, and what of justification and, and say amen and we all went home, I'd leave you with a, a major theological dilemma. I, I would lead you, leave you with a, a very glaring problem. A, a holy God declaring sinners to be righteous creates a major problem for us. Do you see the problem? Well, God's judgments are always in accordance with truth. Does anybody disagree with that? Human judges are not always in accordance with truth. Sometimes they declare someone to be righteous when, in fact, they're guilty. And sometimes they declare someone to be guilty when they're actually innocent. But God never does that. His judgments are always true. He never says that that something is something when it's not that thing. He does not lie. He does not declare someone to be righteous when they are, in fact, not righteous. But we've already established that justification in no way makes anyone righteous. And we've established that by nature, you're not righteous. Therein lies the problem. How can God declare us to be righteous in justification when we are, in reality, not righteous? This question that I just posed, this problem that I just illumined, It's one of the most important theological questions that you could ever ask. Thankfully, the Bible gives us a very clear and explicit answer. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. How can a holy God declare sinners to be righteous in a manner that is consistent with his own character? Romans 3, and let's just walk through this verse by verse, beginning in verse 19. Notice, the Bible says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. What does the law say? It says that we're guilty before God. We're sinners. We're, we're, we're not just. We're not righteous. And it stops our mouths. We cannot say to God on the last day, oh yes, I, I know I've committed some sins, but I've tried really hard and you should justify me because of uh, A for effort, right? No. The law says to us that we're sinners. Verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. The law also says that we'll never be justified by our good works because we've broken the law. And the Bible says if you break the law at just one point, you've broken the whole thing. And the the righteousness that God demands is a perfect righteousness. So we'll never be justified by our good works, by our law keeping, by our attempts at obedience. What's the purpose of the law? Verse 20, by the law is the knowledge of sin. In fact, what the law does is it reveals to us That we're sinners, that we're guilty. Okay, right here, just in these two verses, we've already obliterated the Roman doctrine that we're justified by our own righteousness. 
by the way, it was, it was the book of Romans and Galatians together that, that as Martin Luther was preparing lectures on the book of Romans that God saved him in 1519. Because he realized all this self-flagellation, all, all, I can whip myself until my flesh falls off my bones, but by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. Verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. Can you imagine someone, maybe an Old Testament Jew, or, or someone in a, a system of legalism that thinks that they are justified by their own good works? Could you imagine them reading that verse for the first time with the eyes of faith? What do you mean the righteousness of God apart from the law? What is righteousness apart from the law? How could there be any righteousness apart from my law keeping? I'm glad you asked. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe for there is no difference. There's no difference between the Jew or the Greek. There's no difference between the, the legalist sitting in a Baptist church and the legalist sitting in a, a Roman Catholic church. Anyone who believes that they are justified by their own good works and their own law keeping, they must see that by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. But the, the righteousness that justifies is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who what? Believe. Believe. Remember we said faith and repentance were the means of justification. Because the righteousness that justifies us before God is a righteousness that we receive through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If there was ever an understatement in the Bible, it was that one. We have not just fallen short, we've miserably fallen short. Justification, if it was on the basis of our own righteousness, no one would ever be justified because no one is righteous. Verse 24, being justified, notice this word, freely. Freely. Not, not you pay your part, God pays his part. No, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justification is free. Justification is by the grace of God. Justification is through the redeeming work of Christ. Amen and hallelujah. Amen. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood, verse 25, through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be, notice this expression, the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. How can a holy God justify, declare us to be righteous when we're not righteous and not violate His character? To ask it another way, how can God be both just and the justifier? Well, He does it by His righteousness that is given to sinners through faith in Jesus. Amen. The righteousness of God whereby we are justified is the righteousness that is secured 
by the blood of Christ that washes away sins, who died a perfect, sinless death. God justifies us by washing away our sins in Jesus' blood and accrediting to us the perfect righteousness of Christ. By doing this, God is both just and the justifier. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only way that a holy God can declare sinners as righteous without violating his own character. What Paul is teaching in Romans 3, verses 19 through 26, is the doctrine of imputed righteousness. How does God justify? Imputed righteousness. In previous sessions, we've looked at the doctrine of imputation. We've, we've given that a definition, so I'm not going to be too exhaustive here. But just remember that imputation means to accredit to one's account something that they do not possess on the basis of another's account who does possess it. We have no righteousness. Christ has all righteousness. So in order to justify us in the gospel, God has devised a way for us to receive the righteousness of Christ through faith and for our sins to be given to him, and he dies on the cross, and when he dies on the cross, he simultaneously offers up his righteousness and pays the debt of our sin. Amen. That's the gospel. Amen. You see how important justification is. If I, if I were to tell you, yes, justification, it's this, it's this, uh, uh, this thing whereby uh, God gives you a little bit of grace and that grace then enables you to do the good works and if you keep the seven sacraments and you say your prayers and you pray the rosary and you offer up alms and you, you be a good little Christian and on the last day you, you'll be justified. We've just lost the gospel. Notice, notice what Paul will go on to say in Romans 4 and verses 5 and 6. He says, but to him who, notice this, does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness. It's imputed righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. It's a pretty good deal, isn't it? You're poor. You have no righteousness. You have no ability to earn righteousness. And God says to the one who does not work and has no righteousness, but simply believes on Jesus, he receives full righteousness. When God justifies us, He does so on the basis of the imputed righteousness of Christ. He can justly declare us as righteous because when He looks at us as believers, He's not looking at our sins. He sees the righteousness of Christ. So, He's not violating His character at all to justify us because it's not our righteousness. If God were to, to justify us on the basis of our works, He would be Unjust. He would be calling something righteous that's very wicked. Mm -hmm. But when we receive the righteousness of Christ and He declares us to be righteous, He's doing something that is perfectly just. Yes. For the same reason, God condemned Jesus on the cross. Say, Jesus lived a sinless life. Wasn't it unjust of God to condemn Jesus on the cross? No, because on the cross, Jesus bore our sins. Mm -hmm. So God was just at Calvary, and God is just in each and every one of your lives and my life. He declares us to be just 
through the imputed righteousness of Christ. He looked at Jesus on the cross and he saw our sins. So he declared Jesus guilty and he poured out wrath. But now he looks on us and he sees the righteousness of Christ. So he pours out his grace, love, and mercy. Imputed righteousness must never be confused with infused righteousness. Infused righteousness. Imputed and infused. Infused righteousness is the doctrine of Rome that teaches that justification is something that happens within you. And that in justification, God enables you to do the good works to merit your salvation. Do you see how that sounds almost right? But yet, the greatest lie is oftentimes the thing closest to the truth. Through our obedience, God gives us righteousness and then he justifies us on the basis of that righteousness. That's not what the Bible teaches. Imputed righteousness is based on the righteousness of another. It's based on the obedience of Christ. Are you saved by law-keeping? Yes, you are, but not your law-keeping. The law-keeping of Jesus. Are you saved by good works? Yes, you are, but not your good works. The good works of Jesus. It's what Luther called an alien righteousness. Let me read a lengthy quote from John Murray. He says this, quote, Justification is both a declarative and a constitutive act of God's free grace. It is constitutive in order that it may be declarative. God must constitute the new relationship as well as declare it to be. The constitutive act consists in the imputation to us of the obedience and righteousness of Christ. So that's, God gives us the righteousness of Christ and now he constitutes a new relationship with us. And the obedience of Christ must therefore be regarded as the ground of justification. It is the righteousness which God not only takes into account, but reckons to our account when he justifies the ungodly. To boil that down, just think about it this way. If, if you were to stand before God on that day, and, and he were to ask you, what makes you think that, that you can have a relationship with me? What makes you think that you can dwell in my presence? What makes you think that we can commune one with another? You would simply say, because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's why. So, you understand the why, the who, the what, the how. And justification. Let's very quickly look at the when. When does God justify? Uh, and, and I don't want to belabor this point. Um, but, you know, there's argument. Some will say uh, on the, the hyper-Calvinist side that, well, we're justified before the foundation of the world. That, that the elect who were chosen before the foundation of the world were always justified. And then there's others who will say that, well, we're, we're not justified until the last day when God examines our life and then judges us according to our works and then justifies us. But brothers and sisters, if you've been paying attention thus far, you'll see the problem with both of those two schemes. When is a sinner justified? God justifies sinners in the self-same instance that they place their faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. No one is born into this world justified. Ephesians 2 says, You were children of wrath, even as others. Justification though, on the other hand, it's not a process. It's not something you work to achieve, hoping that on the last day you will be justified. 
In the very moment, listen to this, in the very moment that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are declared perfectly and spotlessly righteous in the eyes of God Almighty. And and you will never be any more justified or any less justified. Because when God saves you, He gives you the fullness of Christ's righteousness. And through faith, God no longer sees you as a guilty sinner. He sees you as united to Jesus Christ so that His righteousness is your righteousness. We'll get to, justi- or we'll get to sanctification, okay? We'll get to talking about how in the Christian life, we do become more practically holy and practically righteous but we must make a hard and fast distinction between justification and sanctification. You confuse justification and sanctification, you are treading on some dangerous ground. You can only talk about sanctification once you understand that through faith, you're perfectly justified. The way John Piper puts it, and I love this statement, he says, the only sin that can be overcome is a forgiven sin. We can't talk about sanctification, practical holiness in the believer's life, until we realize that all of our sins have been dealt with by the single act of God's grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. To be justified is not just to be innocent. When God justifies you, He doesn't just wipe the slate clean. Sometimes you'll hear people will say, well, justified means just as if I'd never sinned. Maybe you've heard that Sunday school. Well, that's not really what it means. Innocence doesn't get you to heaven. You realize if God were to to wipe the slate clean, it won't take you but half a millisecond to sin. Or if God were to somehow do a work in you that would keep you from all future sin, what about all the sins you've already committed? Justification is to be perfectly, completely, and positively righteous. And for that, the righteousness of our justification must be a righteousness apart from and outside of us. It must be the righteousness of Christ. It must be the righteousness of Christ alone, received by grace alone, through faith alone, apart from any works on our part. Let me close with a lengthy quote from Murray. He was so helpful in this chapter. He says this, That we are justified by faith is what engenders hope in a convicted sinner's heart. He knows he has nothing to offer. And this truth assures him that he need nothing to offer. Yea, it assures him that it is an abomination to God to presume to offer. I love that. We are justified by faith, and therefore simply by the entrustment of ourselves and all our dismal hopelessness to the Savior whose righteousness is undefiled and undefilable. Justification by faith alone lies at the heart of the gospel, and it is the article that makes, man, makes the lame man leap as in heart and the tongue of the dumb sing. Justification is that by which grace reigns through righteousness unto eternal life. It is for the believer alone. It is is for the believer by faith alone. It is the righteousness of God from faith to faith. This does buck up against our human nature. Because our human nature tells us what? It tells us that, well, there's got to be something for us to do. There's got to be something for us to offer. There's got to be something that we can do, something that we can pay, something that we can give to God. But do you realize... When it comes to justification, what an insult it is to God to try to offer up your good works. Here God is in heaven saying, I have already provided justification through the perfect righteousness of Christ and you're going to offer me this pile of dung? No, no. 
We need to get rid of our pile of dung, which is our good works, and just trust ourselves to the finished righteousness of Christ. And it's by that righteousness alone that God justifies. <laughs>